Come on, if he's worthy, can you just let Baylor hear you? Tell the Lord thank you. What a mighty God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Listen, after, after Brother Noah, I'm through. I don't have anything else to say, but amen. He is, he is right about one thing. It's a lot of us up in here. I mean, we are on this mall. Come on, let's praise the Lord one more time. Wake somebody up. <laughs> Wake somebody up. My name is Sam, Sam Doyle. I'm one of the pastors in the city. I pastor Greater New Light Baptist Church here in the city of Waco. And I just came to worship with y'all. Uh, I was told that the theme is, Lord, teach us to pray. And I want to try to say something to speak into that theme and to bless your prayer life. If in these few moments, these days, one of the things you're seeking God for is a stronger prayer life, if, if that is your prayer this week, maybe you're hungering in God's word for where in God's word you can learn more about prayer, I want to suggest reading devotionally the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua. I love the book of Joshua because in the book of Joshua, the reader of the book of Joshua is, is made to contemplate this struggle, this tension between what God promises and what I possess. See, Joshua has to lead the children of Israel propelled by the promise that God has given them a land, that God is making them a great nation, that, that they are going to be royal priests that the entire world will know and be able to come to the true and living God through. That's the promise that Joshua lives under. But here Joshua leads a group of nomads who at his day had no king had no land, had no kingdom. All they had was a promise. And it was the job of Joshua to possess what God promised. And I think that that tension, in the tension between what God promised and what I have to get up and possess lies a powerful lesson on prayer. One lesson at the front porch of this message is that, that the promises of God are supposed to propel us. They're not supposed to make us stagnant. That if God promised me something, that if I'm filled with his purpose, if, if, if he's assured something of me, then my response to his promise is to go possess what he said was mine. And this, and this my brothers and sisters, is what Joshua has to do. He doesn't fight for victory, in other words. He fights from victory. The victory is already his. The land is already theirs. Now the only task Joshua has to do is go and possess what God promised. And I believe that there's somebody in this room, in this, in this fountain mall, that can relate to that. You're here at Baylor because God promised you something. 
God filled you with purpose. God placed a call on your life. And I don't know uh, with this multitude of people what you're studying, where you are, what year it is. But, but you're here today because God called you here. And, 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 and if you truly believe that you're filled with promise, that the promises of God are supposed to propel you to possess what he promised. Another thing we learn is that suspended in that tension between promise and possession is, is the power of God, the very necessary, the very crucial power of God. In Joshua, the 10th chapter, in Joshua, the 10th chapter, we see this power at work. <laughs> the king of Jerusalem, interestingly, by this time in the story, Jerusalem isn't the capital city of Israel. It's a kingdom all in itself. The king was a pagan king that Joshua would have had to, and the people of Israel would have had to drive out the land. On the heels of Joshua's victory in Joshua chapter 8 against Ai, the king of Jerusalem catches wind of all of Joshua's victories. And then he also catches wind that a neighboring city has, has Gibeon has aligned itself with Joshua. And so now the king of Jerusalem goes on the offensive and makes war with Joshua and his allies. And then as chapter 10 goes on, Joshua is in battle. And in battle, Joshua is told by God in the 38th verse of chapter 10, God tells Joshua that I have given them into your hands. And then in verse number 12 of chapter 10, Joshua, the 10th chapter, this is what it reads. Hear these words. At the time Joshua spoke to the Lord, in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Aelajan, and the sun stood still. The sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nations until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jassar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set about the whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the, watch this, when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought.
for Joshua and, and returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. What a powerful confidence Joshua has. I mean, in the midst of battle, the Bible says Joshua speaks to the Lord. But his address is to the sun. And he tells the sun to stand still. The moon to stop. And it does. Can I tell you something? That's crazy. That's mind-boggling. The sun stands still. And the moon stops. Have you ever sat and meditated on how utterly impossible that is? The sun stands still and the moon stops. You know what's even more fascinating about it? It's almost if, it's almost as if the writer is challenging the reader. <laughs> because the writer says there hasn't been a day like that since. Where somebody's, where, where what does it say? Where, where the Lord, where the Lord heeded the voice of man. Joshua prayed so that the sun stood still. Now Moses prayed one time to God and, 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 and God changed his mind. You remember that? When, when God said, listen, I'm not going with the children of Israel across uh, to freedom because if I go with y'all, God said it, I'm going to kill somebody. And then Moses said this, Lord... We can't do this without you. And the Bible says that the Lord repented. Not, as, not the kind of repentance that you and I are doing this week. But, but, the, but, but it's, it's, it's God forming Moses' prayer life. And here Joshua is able to pray and tell the son to stand still. What boldness. What boldness on the battlefield. To have such a confidence in God in such a public place as to speak to the sun and say, son, stop. That, 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 that's, why, that's why I'm so encouraged to hear Noah's story about healing. And, and that's why I was so encouraged to hear about all of the people who were healed and set free this week. I, 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 I'm encouraged because when I read a text where God does something so amazing, so crazy, so impossible. He did it back then, and the God who does amazing, impossible, and crazy things back then can do it today. He can do it even at the Fountain Mall. Oh, oh my God is uh, amazing. But do you know what the greatest miracle of the Bible is? The greatest miracle that the Bible proclaims is that God is able to change hearts. He's able to find the loss. He's able to set the captives free. He's able to cause the dead to live again. My father is omnipotent, and this I can't deny. A God of might and miracles, tis written in the sky. And it took a miracle to hang the world in place. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, that took a miracle of love and grace you know what kind of boldness it takes and courage and confidence it takes to believe God the way Joshua did? Son, stand still. The sun doesn't stand still. The sun spins. Moon, 
stop. The moon don't stop. The moon has a schedule it has to keep. But on that day, God made it so that the sun could stand still and that the moon can stop. Now, I know we're on Baylor campus, and it's a whole lot of intellectuals, and you're probably in the room today, and, 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 and your mind is, is, is arguing with what I'm saying, and you're probably trying to interpret a way that we can read the text in a way that makes sense. But I'm sorry. I got a little master's degree myself, and so I've read this text. I've read this text. And exegetically, we can't escape it. The Bible says that the sun stood still and the moon stopped. That's what it says. And, 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 that's, and that's what I believe because I believe in a God who can do impossible things. But the question is, where does Joshua get the nerve to pray like that? I... I, I I think Joshua can talk to God like that because of how God talked to Joshua all throughout the book. I mean, at the opening of the book of Joshua, God speaks to Joshua and tells Joshua, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Follow my law. Don't turn to the left or to the right. And then God tells Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I think Joshua is able to talk that way to God on the battlefield because of how God talked to Joshua in his private moments. There are at least five times in the Bible where the Lord speaks to Joshua. <laughs> look, look, in Joshua 3 and 7, the Lord says to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of Israel. Can you imagine God saying that to the brand new leader of Israel? <laughs> Joshua, you don't have to exalt yourself. I'm going to exalt you. In, in chapter 4, God speaks to Joshua again and says, Joshua, command the priests bearing the Ark of Testimony to come up out of the Jordan. Joshua receives his direction from God. God, what you want me to do with these priests? Command them to come out of the sea. In Joshua 5, 9, the Lord says to Joshua, today I have rolled the reproach away from Israel. In, in, in Joshua 7 and 10, the Bible says, the Lord speaks to Joshua and say, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? What, what a gracious God to say in the midst of one of my greatest defeats, get up. Why are you falling on your face? And then in Joshua, the sixth chapter, the Lord speaks to Joshua and says, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. I, I think Joshua is able to speak so boldly on the battlefield because of what God says to Joshua in private. I'm with you. I wrote the reproach away. Tell the priest to to come up out of the water. I, I'm with you. I've given Jericho into your hands. I've given your enemy into your hands. When the Lord speaks like that to me in private, I'll say just about anything for him in public. Sometimes when we think about prayer, we think about what we're going to say to God. But in these moments, 
One thing you ought to be thirsty for is what is God trying to say to me? In these three days, with all of these burdens you brought, all of the names that you've plastered on the sidewalk, all of the things you want God to do, the question is, Lord, what are you trying to say to me? And, and, and what makes Joshua able to speak so boldly on the battlefield is because of what God says to him off the field. And here's my little lesson. You, you get the kind of boldness that makes the sun stand still on the battlefield from a humble, intentional, resting, and feasting in the presence of God off the battlefield. You're able to believe God for great things on the battlefield when you're open to letting God speak to you off the battlefield. Sweet hour of prayer. Sweet hour of prayer. It calls me from a load of care. It bids me at my father's throne. Makes all his wants and wishes known. Jesus often not only taught us to pray, but he modeled prayer. In some of the most intense moments of his life, we see Jesus stealing away. Early in the morning, a desolate place to pray. Even on that fateful Thursday, he goes out into the Mount of Olives. And when his enemies come to arrest him, they don't find him preaching or healing. They find Jesus praying. My brothers and sisters, the power to, to, to possess what, what God has promised us comes from those moments where God speaks to our hearts. We see this all over the New Testament. We see this all over the New Testament. Uh, in, in Matthew 21, we hear Jesus saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you have the faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to this fig tree. Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree and it withered. You won't just have the faith to do that. But, but, but even if you say to this mountain, be removed, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it'll happen. Isn't that awesome? That God gives us sun-stealing mountain-moving capabilities, but he doesn't put it in our hands, in, in, in our skilled hands. He doesn't put it in our, in our righteous intellectual minds. He doesn't even put it in our compassionate hearts. He puts it in our knees. He, he, he puts it as we kneel before his presence and pray. Preacher, I don't, I don't, I don't, have enough faith. That, that, that's a good problem. You can pray about that. You, you, you remember the father of that, of that boy with epilepsy? You remember what he says? Lord, I believe. 
help thou my unbelief. You know what that means? He says, Lord, I trust you. I trust you as best I can. But I need you to help me in the areas where my faith is failing. If you came into this, into this company today with, with areas of failing faith, you don't have to go before God's throne in shame. Lord, I'm so sorry. I've been saved since I was a kid, and, and I still don't believe you for this. My friend prayed for somebody to get healed, and they got healed. I prayed for somebody, and they still coughing, and, 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 and I want that kind of power. You can pray for it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Help me in the places where my faith is failing. All over the scripture, all over the scripture, we, we, see, we see the Savior teaching us about prayer. John 15 and 7. How do you get this power? Jesus says, if you will abide in me and my words abide in you. Isn't that powerful? When I rest in him... His words and his promises will rest on me. If you remain in me and my words in you. Isn't that beautiful? That, 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 that reminds me of a place in the scripture where, where the Bible says, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Can I teach real quick? That's actually a tautology. It's actually a circular statement. See, some of you all have been interpreting that passage this way. If I delight myself in the Lord, he'll give me the stuff I really want in life. He'll give me that job I want. He'll give me that, that spouse I want. But, but if I'm delighting myself in the Lord, what's the desire of my heart? It's the Lord. <laughs> and the promise is, the more... I delight myself in him. The promise is he'll give me more and more of himself. Can I tell you why that's good news? Because there's no idol that can make that promise and keep it. You, you delight yourself in money. Listen, you can delight all you want. Money doesn't promise to give you more of itself. You, you delight yourself in beauty. Beauty can't make that promise because, because beauty is fading and fleeting. You, you delight yourself in success. You can be as ambitious as you want to be. But, but for everybody who got the job, it was about 50 people who didn't. Just as ambitious as you. <laughs> no, no other idol can make that promise. Only the Lord says, if you, and you know why? Because because every idol has an expiration date. Every idol has an expiration date. I know it's hard for us to conceive in America because here money just grows on trees. But even money has an expiration date. All of it runs out. Heaven and earth will pass away. But the eternal God who has inexhaustible grace and everlasting love and unending mercy has his hands outstretched to you and says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And if you delight yourself in me, I'll do what all of your idols can't do. I'll give you more and more and more of me. And, 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 and here's why that's good news. Because Jesus says, if you abide in me and my word in you, you can ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. You know why that is? It's because as I'm resting in him, 
his word is resting in me, his words begin to form my prayer life so that when I pray, I just pray back to him what he's already said. And, and, and that's when God has a way of doing miraculous things in, in my life. I, I, I'm, I'm reminded in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, when, when Peter and John are standing before the Sanhedrin council and, and, and they have to make a defense for why they've just healed this lame beggar and why they're preaching in the name of Jesus. And they do it. I mean, flat-footed. No good. Know that they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin count. Know that they're talking to the same people that just a few days ago crucified Jesus. And just flat-footed, preaching in the, in the eyes of their enemies that through Jesus Christ, God raises the dead. And the Bible says in, in chapter 4 and, and verse number 13, in chapter 4 and verse number 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, so now let's, let's add it up. It is... Sun stealing, mountain moving, breathtaking and astonishing boldness. All that you get when you rest in the presence of God, when you abide in him, when you rest and remain in him and let his word rest and remain on you. you, you, you you'll, you'll go into the world and they may not appreciate your education. They might not know all of your skills, but one thing they won't be able to doubt is the glow of his glory. One thing they won't be able to doubt is his hand on your life. And they're, they're, they'll have to give glory to God. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. And then there's a little later on in Acts after the disciples had been put in prison, <laughs> released, now they come together with the heat of persecution on them. And I know in 21st century Waco, we, we don't know the kind of persecution in the same way that our brothers and sisters all over the world in secret churches and in dark places have to go through but here, the text says that, that when the persecution was, was ramping up, the Bible records the church praying, Lord, look upon their threats. God, look at their threats. Look, look, look their threats right in the eye. Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak the word with all boldness. Let us speak and then watch what he says. While you, Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and do signs and wonders are performed through the name of Jesus. Lord, give us boldness to speak. <laughs> you, you do the work, but give us boldness to speak. You here this morning, this evening, and you say, I don't feel like I have enough faith. That's a good problem. You can pray for it. 
I don't feel I have enough boldness. I believe God. I just, I, I just don't feel like I have enough boldness. That's okay. You can pray for it. Lord, give us all the more boldness. Don't you see the boldness you need and the courage you need to have sun-stealing, mountain-moving, earth-shattering, enemy-astonishing courage and boldness. The boldness you need to have that kind of faith comes from moments where you are praying to your father. So what are you supposed to do with this message? What, what, what's the point of all of this? The point of it is this. As we gather to pray here under this fountain mall, as we gather to pray, let this gathering of saints do something to bless your personal prayer life. Let this gathering of saints do something to influence you to do like the Savior did. Get up in the morning. Get quiet. But before, before you study for your exam, before you start writing your term paper, if you're a preacher, before you start studying your sermon, open the word and let God speak to you. Reverend, I'm a little too busy for that. Can I tell you something? And I know, I know it's some folks like me that's been out of college for one or two minutes. You, this, this is not the busiest period of your life. Life only gets busier. Tomorrow is going to be busier than today is. Next year is going to be after graduation. If the Lord blesses you with employment, it's going to be even busier. Start to give God his time now. D do it now. Get in the groove of getting up in the morning and offering, offering the best of your mind, the best of your heart, the best of your attention to, to the Father. And see what he does, not only with your day, but with your life. I'm going to take a minute and pray for us. When I will have taken my seat, there'll be prayer counselors circled around us to pray with you and to pray for you. As you respond to the way the Spirit calls you to respond to this message. And as, and as we pray... Pray like the humble in the scripture. Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. Pray like the disciples in Acts. Lord, give me more boldness so that tomorrow you can look at whatever enemy you have to face and say, son, stand still until God works the victory. Lord, we're here because we believe it. Lord, we're here because we trust you. Lord, we thank you for the power that's in these earthen vessels. Lord, we thank you that you use clay lips and clay hands and clay feet to do your work and to do your work in the world. And now, oh Lord, we believe you once more. Grant us that sun-stilling, 
mountain moving, enemy astonishing, earth shattering boldness that will only come in our walk with you. Lord, I pray for every one of my brothers and sisters under the sound of my voice. I pray for my brother or sister that's hearing your voice for the first time. Lord, we thank you that you're able to save even by your power. Lord, we thank you that you're healing the sick. Lord, we thank you that you are working miracles in our lives. And even more, God, we thank you for the brother or the sister who is, even at this moment, trusting you for the first time or once again as Savior and Lord. Move by your power even now. In Jesus' name we pray and ask it all. Amen. God bless you.